0: Good. Well, plans are tonight to uh, have a little discussion on sharpening tools and chain sharpening. Last last week we talked a little on. Uh, week before we talked a little bit about uh, different types of saw chain, and what preferences were, and so I thought tonight we might talk on some different sharpening tools. We discussed a, a little bit, but um, I've gone through and scoured the internet and see what we could come up with as far as some different uh, different things, but. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We've got Bryant Ellis with us from. Hello. Over in yeah, now I can hear you. Alabama, and uh, Michael Oxman is signed on from out. Uh, you're in Washington State. Hey, Kathy Taylor Hall. How are you? Is it is sound okay and picture and everything there okay with you? So anyway, Bryant, tell them who you are. I don't know. We I think Chris is supposed to check on tonight. I don't know what time he'll he'll get on. I know uh, Cotton Top was uh, heading to um, Nashville, so he he probably won't uh, won't check in tonight. And haven't heard back from David. I think he's at a sales meeting. So we've got uh, probably just me and you tonight. I don't know unless Robert signs on. Okay. Well, Michael Oxman has been he's a, in the tree tree business out in the uh, Pacific Northwest for years and years okay great if he, if he can get on here he sent a message he'd like to join so and i noticed that winston winston rawl was hanging out got to get him signed in here i don't know if he's just on the phone or on his <laughs> computer tonight Winston if you hear me i can send you a link and get you tied in see if you See if you can talk a little about some uh, some sharpening. So let's see if I had any, anybody else? Got Brian, David, Chris, and Robert was all we had for tonight that said they were coming. Did you get it, Michael? Did you get it?
1: Yes, I I had two versions of Zoom open at the same time.
0: Oh. So I was
1: hearing both of you guys about five seconds apart. I'm don't back don't and I'm out of Seattle. So feel- uh, welcome to Forest Apps.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you giving me a message and dropping in. I was just telling him I had Winston Raw he used to be with the U.S. Forest Service, he's retired. He, he was on there when you, you sent a message to me, and uh, I don't know if he's still on. We'll try to maybe get him on here tonight, too. He's sharpened a few, few saw chains. But I remember, I remember Michael, I, I think I met you several years ago. Did I? Maybe it was at a tree climbing competition or at an ISA conference. Yeah, I think it was ISA conference about years ago. You've been Yeah, it was
1: probably on the West Coast. I used to be in the Western chapter. Um, I was down in Los Angeles for about 15 years, and I moved up to Oregon for 15 years, and now I've been in Seattle for more than 20 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty much history. I'm out of here. You know, I'll be dead soon, and you guys will be taking over. So it's really nice that you've trained a bunch of people, Tim. You know, these guys, uh, when they pick up the chainsaw, they run a chance of cutting their nose off within like two seconds. So uh, since since you and I have both already sliced and diced our own bodies, when we tell these people that you better hang on to that dang thing, um, some of them will listen. And, and then those will be the people that survive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was talking. I think I think uh, I was talking to uh, Dwayne Neustetter. I think you know him, huh?
1: Yes, I know, Dwayne, and now DJ is coming up, and that is really fantastic to have a, a multi-generational um, uh, family-run outfit, uh, um, al- although they're not in the same outfit too often. My son uh, is my climber, so I have uh, the second generation that hopefully will be able to uh, pass along some of the stuff. And I'm I'm not actually getting any of my own video here. Do you, do you have me on video there?
0: Yeah, yeah, i got you. Oh, okay. It's on All the right. gallery. It's oh, right. I see. View, there it is. Yeah, it's usually on another screen.
1: There I am. All right, so, yeah, see so, you know, I have two computers going, and the one I look at is not the one that is running this show. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Hi, friends. Uh, you, you people probably know me from YouTube. I got about 800 videos there. Uh, I got about 10,000 photos on Facebook. And um, go back away so, so I know... Probably the people that trained you, and uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm 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 actually in a different profession than you, Tim. Um, I I know uh, Robert Albrighton here. We we were just partying here in uh, August down in uh, California, was it? Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't see him yet. Oh, he's not on yet. He he may check in tonight. I haven't really heard back from him. He he said he might so.
1: Yeah, he was was at, um, I believe, uh, Tree-topia this summer down in uh, San Francisco. And I I go up, you know, I kind of meander around among various conferences. Um, You know, this has been an incredible year. I know you guys want to talk about chainsaws. Um, To people that haven't been to Tree-topia, this was the second year. Uh, The Husky people had a very big showing there, and and Tim, do you have a, like a particular brand loyalty? Is it is it a cuss word to say Husqvarna?
0: No, I, I, I've i got a couple of each, you know, so. <laughs>
1: well, you know, that the, the nice thing about Treetopia is that they had um, a post hole digger come in and dig three deep holes, and they shoved three different uh, logs that are maybe 15, 20 feet tall in them. So they were sticking up about 10 feet out of the ground. And they had several instructors, uh, notably, oh, the, the husky uh, guy, who the big hairy guy. And then also another uh, chainsaw safety instructor was uh, Craig Bachman. Mm-hmm. And Craig Bachman is a real up-and-comer. He's one of the official, I believe, tree tools instructors. And he's on the lecture circuit. He goes to conferences, and he has an incredible safety ethic he's really taught me a lot and um you know my son and i have used him to uh come in as a contract climber and help us with our our jobs he, craig's um he has uh, uh a tree service now where he's no longer just an individual but he's an actual company so so uh, he, he doesn't help us anymore um partly because i'm so fat that if he were up in a tree I could not go up in the tree and do an aerial rescue and and he wants people that are capable around him. And, and Tim, when when you're on the site, you you need at least one decent person uh, uh, in case something happens uh, uh, and and this is kind of like the buddy system. and I have a skin uh, kind of a skimpy outfit. It's just me and my son and and that's it. So, so we don't really qualify as a tree service, but we use the chainsaws. And um, I, I'm fascinated by chainsaws. The sharpening, which is what you want to talk about tonight, is such a tiny component of, uh, of, of what is involved in chainsaws. But I can go on and on about uh, sharpening or, or any aspect of chainsaws. Yeah. So I just wanted your friends that are watching your, your feed here, to, to know who they're dealing with. And if there's anything that I can offer, like if if your your people have questions, it would be fantastic if they would just type them in in the chat and then we could go straight to the things that are bothering them because there's a lot of people that, that they have this stuff that's kind of stuck away in the back of their minds and they, they, they've been chewing on it for a while and they just can't figure it out. And sometimes it's better to have somebody else jump in there and, and kind of um, uh, address the sp- very specific points of contention that that they uh, that they want to know more about. So so uh, that's why I like the fact that you've got a whole bunch of us guests on here, and I'm hogging the show. So I'm going to let some of your other people talk. And Tim, occasionally, we will let
0: you talk tonight as well. <laughs> well, I you know I, I, it's it's great to have friends. That's the thing, you know. And uh, I was going to say when 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 we first started Arbor Master training, that uh, I was ground guy because I, I I don't climb so and and I haven't been real heavyweight but even skinny I couldn't get up a doggone tree that was the biggest thing so I just I just worked on the ground so that was it. You you were involved with Ken and Rip? Yeah, I I started Arbor Master with Ken and Rip. So th- so that
1: was uh, that was about 1990,
0: right? Uh, about 94, 95 is when we. Started.
1: 95. Okay, so so let's just talk about the the origins of Arbor Master. Uh-huh. you know like all trainers they have uh, like several different modules that they can teach about and the Ken and Rip are just fantastically versatile yeah. and so at the time there was a couple articles in Arbor H magazine Arbor H magazine used to be the thing it was like the social media outlet yeah. and and there was some um there was some you know, ISA magazines and a couple other magazines at the time, uh, the, the internet was just starting out in 95. So, so, um, so uh, I had a friend who also fancied himself a trainer, a uh, uh, Jim Harris and Jim Harris uh, won the ITCC in 1994 up in Canada, up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And when he came back, he went on the circuit and he, uh, it enrolled in every tree climbing competition that he could get his little ass down to. Uh, we we both lived in this little town of 20,000 people in Oregon, in rural Oregon. And, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of uh, like a uh, big fish in a small pond. So Jim advertised that he had a training company and he invited people to come and sign up and he would train them, so it was like a two to three day module, and and whoever wanted to could come and fly to Oregon, which is this hole in the wall called Grants Pass, which um, you know is down near the California border, and uh, it's 250 miles south of Portland, and it is 225 miles north of Sacramento. Two cities. There is a 500 mile no man's land in Oregon. So um, so at any rate, to get to the chainsaw part, um, uh, it, it, the, the chainsaw module was a small part of Arbormaster's initial uh, offerings. And it probably still is today, but it's also the meat and potatoes. We had a little chainsaw class uh, put on by the steel factory which I don't actually know where the, the steel distributor is down in Southern Oregon, but they came in and uh, my job was to go down to the mill and pick up two logs. And they had a class there. We had Jim Harris and Nelda Matheny, who are the authors of the book Arboriculture took over from Jim Harris. They were the instructors. Uh, Robin Morgan was there uh, who wrote the uh, introductory guide to uh, uh uh, urban forestry in Washington, Oregon, and California. So so it was a, a well-rounded program that included this chainsaw safety class. And at the end of the day, we were left with two benches that, um, that the steel factory guys had carved out of uh, these two logs. So there you go. Um, and, and then I see we have another guest on here with us. But if you had a light on your face, we would actually be able to know who you are.
0: <laughs> that's brian ellis he's uh he has brian a- can you get a light
1: going for us
0: hey yeah i'm a little limited
2: tonight uh i didn't really have my normal setup, up so uh just kind of want to sit in and uh, absorb some of this knowledge and um uh, i tim knows i was part of his team in the early 2000s from about 02 to 05 and of course uh Arbor Master was always at the ISA shows that we we went and worked and uh, got to meet Rip and Ken, a lot of those. So I I love listening to all this uh, this history. Where are you out of, Brian? I'm in Tuscaloosa, Alabama.
0: All right.
1: Yes, sir. The natural state. (laughs) That's right.
0: (laughs) Brian was one of the Husqvarna PPS team. We traveled all over. And so Laura and I managed that and we had about 12, 12 guys and, and, uh, Brian went back to run a dealership and he, he did some training for a while around the, he's a forestry, I guess you forestry major is what you were. You, 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 actually, were you certified state? You were, weren't you?
2: That's right. I actually, you know, was at Mississippi state, Mississippi, um, in school, right. but, uh, and, and, briefly went to work for the Alabama Forest Commission uh, when I got out of school there, but, um, you know, had already had the ties with the dealership, the Husbarna, and of course with uh, David and, and uh, some of the guys there in the corporate office when they found out that I was out of school and they, <laughs> we kind of, I spent a weekend with you guys in Charlotte and. Um, I kind of liked what was going on there. So I was really fortunate to be able to be part of that product specialist team.
0: Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got a few things here. I wanted to kind of run through just kind of putting together this thing. Cause a lot of people, um, you know, have chainsaws and they, and, a lot of people were good at sharpening there's no doubt about it but a lot of times they don't know all of the stuff is out there and I know I always try to hunt around talking to different people and there's a a, a lot of different uh, tools that are out there now so I thought we might look through some of this and, and get you all this kind of opinion maybe you've used some of it maybe not and uh, this is a you know I, I just kind of googled some of the Oregon stuff and uh, you know from hand-filing Uh, Kits to uh, bench grinder to handheld Dremel types You know all those things are are out there, and they're available different sources around the country but um, You know those are those things that you have to kind of match to the saw and the chain that you have and then there's a uh, noticed this one that's their full kit it's got uh, I think two or three different file sizes in it so it kind of Fits several different uh, different saws, and I hadn't I hadn't seen that one before. But that's kind of a, a neat kit for a homeowner, and uh, and even for somebody who's who's wanting to keep all their tools together. I kind of saw that, and then uh, this one. I don't, Michael. I don't know if you've used it, Brian. Have you have you used one of these? It's a uh, uh, it has a a uh, mounts on the bar, and then it has a carbide bit, and you turn a crank to sharpen. You kind of pull the chain through it, and uh, I've I've talked to several people who have used that and like them. This is a, a knockoff of it, I think. I think the original one's quite a bit more expensive, but that that came up when I was looking through this stuff. But um, I think it's from the Pacific Northwest out there somewhere, and a lot of guys uh, have have told me that they've used it or bought it. It's very very accurate, from what I understand. But it's uh, you know it has to be set up on the bar and then the chain pulls through it and then that carbide bit is what spins to uh, to sharpen. And it's kind of like a handheld Dremel, I guess you'd say. And then um, uh, this was something I was involved in some of the the early days of, and it's still today. And that's a, a power sharp that Oregon has. There's a lot of knockoffs of that I've noticed out there too. But this this was a system that. Uh, back in the in the 80s i think it was a they, they we used to call it barracuda chain but it was a uh, auto sharp chain that mcculloch used that Oregon had developed and then also uh, uh, i think sears had it on some of their saws but it was a a chain that that basically sharpened from the top instead of underneath uh, and um uh, And it kind of went away when all of the ANSI standards came about back in the early 80s. And then um, I was out at at Oregon, um, gosh, it's been, I guess, 12 years or so ago. And um, they took me out back to show me this. And I had never, they hadn't mentioned anything about it. And all of a sudden, they had a whole engineering staff working on it. And they came up with a new design on the chain, and then instead of having the sharpening device mounted to the crankcase of the saw or the side cover, they made it to go to the end of the bar. And they still have it available across the country, but it's just an extended pitch 3/8. And a lot of a lot of the advertising stuff on it, they show it on regular saw chain. But you will mess up a regular saw chain real quick if you put this thing. It clamps on the end, and then it. uh you push against the end of it and it sharpens the chain from the top down. It's really pretty decent. I've got one mounted on a pole saw I still have and it uh, works pretty good but it's 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 kind of an aggressive cut but it it's nice if you if you cut a lot of, uh you know dirty wood or stumps that kind of stuff you can you can be able to sharpen it and uh, and get the damage off the chain pretty fast and it it does it does cut pretty decent but it's only on the small Small saw, so and uh, so. Th- there's there's some applications for it. I think disaster uh, relief groups have had some decent work with it, but that's uh, the power sharp. But I uh, when they when they showed it to me, they, they took me out back and and uh, they said, "I want you to try this thing out. And tell me how it cuts." So there was about a six or seven inch piece of of uh, Douglas fir they had in this this sawhorse, and they had it on a little pole and saw. I started it up and. I cut down through it, and they timed it. It was like seven seconds through this piece. And they said, well, I want you to go over and cut the sidewalk. <laughs> and so went over and cranked it up and stuck it in the sidewalk. That was kind of fun. And then uh, come back over, and they said, well, we're gonna mount this on it, and you can push against the sawhorse there, and and we'll uh, see if it sharpens it back. And sure enough, we were back close to seven second cuts on a piece of wood again. And so I was I was kind of impressed that they were spending the time to uh you know re-engineer this thing and, and put it back together so it was it was something new and and it and it did meet uh the uh ANSI requirements uh, it's kind of reduced kick doing at the same time so nice little attachment and then a lot of people like this one and, and brian you know a lot about this one the roller guide and different sizes that that work on uh, uh, you know anything from extended pitch 3 8 3 3 full profile 404 and it sits on the chain and then and then it holds the file on the rollers and it has a unique uh, depth gauge plate which is a, a design that first time I saw Soren Erickson had it with a a solid plate that he he brought over. we started using them in our game of logging training and uh, it it takes each tooth independently so you have a you have a filing guide which keeps your file at the proper height But then when you you set the depth gauges the rakers with this it it takes each one I think uh, West Coast saws also has a version that they build on that now but uh, Husvarnas still has the original configuration on it and so that's the the roller guide and then uh, another tool that kinda takes Um, the same concept of setting each tooth individually is the furred chain sharp or what Husvarna sells as the sharp force and that comes in several different sizes and it has a flat file and a round file and more or less it indexes off the tops of the teeth so as you file the tooth back the tooth gets lower it goes downhill naturally and so that lowers the the flat file against the depth gauge to set it and so it, it can move around pretty fast and, and you have to swap though from left cutters to right cutters. You have to swap the files around. And so it makes it a little bit uh, challenging unless you, you kind of understand it. But those are about $34, $35. I think you mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you, you sell a few of those, don't you?
2: We do. That's a, that's a really good sales um, tool. And I, I'll tell you, when you use something like that, You know enough and you know get experienced with it you sort of understand what's going on you know with with the depth gauge file and and you know the the proper file we we see so many that's using the wrong file you know they and they it results in a hook or it's you know that this this type device just teaches you the right way to do it and um it allows you to learn how to free file freehand you know after you've used it a while but um we do we keep them in stock i've got three the three major sizes um and it's i mean we move uh, several dozen a year of them
0: well, i've used it in the field I, I use it quite a lot and um but it it does You can screw up a chain with it real quick, just as you can with just a round file or devices. If you understand like we talked about week four last about the parts of the tooth and how it works. And, and somebody does it as long as like Michael does, you know, once you do it a while, you can sharpen with anything. And I think that's the key to it. If you understand how, how everything works and then this, this device then turned into, and this is produced by Ferd also for steel, but it's uh, what they call their CSX tool, but Steele calls it a two-in-one tool, and uh, they've refined it a little bit and use it with their size files, which is 11/32 and 13/64 uh, instead of the 3/16 and 7/32. But this a little bit, a little bit uh, easier to to do left and right cutters because you can you can flip it over. You got a little bit more defined angles on it, but it takes the depth gauge at the same time as the as the uh, tooth also. So that one is, is pretty fast and you can also, you can pull it through like if you've got a chain in a, in a vise, uh, you know, get your saw clamped in a vise or across a log or whatever, you can, you can actually, you go from inside to outside of the tooth, but you, you can actually be on either side and be able to pull through. It, it gives you enough control to do that. So it's it's a pretty neat device, and I've talked to a lot of people who don't do a lot of sharpening, like city, county, state, disaster groups with volunteers and those kinds. that That it's been a very valuable valuable tool for them. And uh, then uh, what I really enjoy, and uh, you know, is is uh, square ground chain, and that's the uh, furred double bevel, and then you've got the, the six sided triangular and uh, that's to me the fastest and smoothest but there's not a whole lot of rigs for it although Atop chain um, out of Scandinavia has a a rig for that and I haven't had my hands on one yet but they have a, a device for the for the uh, chisel bit uh, files and so that that's out and I tried to develop a little bit with the the chain sharp to be able to hold it, and I got to we work pretty good. But it's still, there's too many variables there. But if you take that file, three forty-five degree angles, it it's easy to file, but you you have to be pretty precise with it. You got to get the the uh, channel up through the chisel angle to the point exactly right. And so, in the other two files that we talked about, you know, those only work on full complement chain. And a lot of what we do with square ground is either semi skip or full skip. Chain configurations, and those files have gotten a lot more expensive than than uh, back when I started with them. And then th- there's a new one that a lot of people haven't seen and used yet. And I, I was I was part of of looking at some of the marketing tests on it, but that's the Steel Hexa file system. And uh, chains are out there a good bit. And now that, I guess the filing kits and stuff are starting to show up too. This one was off a, a dealer site. And I noticed the kit is, is like $29, and it has come down a little bit since they first started to introduce it, I think. But that, that file uh, works very well. It takes away some variables. It's like, you know, around filing, you've gotta kinda of hold it the right height to get your chisel angle, get the damage off the tooth and then the chisel angle. And this, it sits down in the gullet area on a flat side of the file, and as you push through, you've got a, a V-shape to the side that cuts the side plate and as you as your tooth goes back and down it just moves down those two angles and it does it does a pretty good job of sharpening a little bit i think it's a little bit faster than uh you know some round filing it's not as fast i don't think as a chisel bit but it is uh, it is pretty smooth and and uh, with their their series chain i i think it uh, it's pretty low kick also very fast cutting and low kick it's not considered a green label chain, though. It's still professional, professional chain.
1: But I didn't are all hard. all six sides um,
0: uh, filing, or or, or are some of them just flat as a guide? The top is flat with an index line, so you got your top angle reference, and then the bottom is smooth, and so it, it sits down right right in the in the gullet. Um, the file. these things are about as scarce as turkey teeth around but if you I don't know if you can see this or not but it's a it's a hexagon shape and then the the top of it has a has a reference line on it there and then the bottom side of it is smooth so you apply back pressure into the tooth and uh, just leave it flat against the bottom in the gullet area and it as you file back it it puts a uh, a v-shape down so it's about the same chisel angle but then it takes it out in the gullet area there at a at a also about a, uh, I don't know probably 30 degree angle and it's very smooth and, and and fast cutting and very easy to sharpen it's it's much easier than than round filing for new folks i mean either way i mean you know if you've done it a little bit you can you can freehand either one of them pretty good but it's, uh, it's something that uh, it, it lines itself up to the tooth, so basically the same tooth. The depth gauge is a little bit different offset to it, but it's basically the same tooth. as a RS series tooth on the steel, so kind of like a, a, a 72 LP type of design, uh, like an organ chain. I have filed some over just messing with it, and it works. It works on several different ones, and then. Uh, Getting into the grinder system. Gosh, there's a lot of stuff now. You got small clamp on units and actually got the handheld units. Um, and then you got, you've got the uh, auto systems now. And I was looking, uh, there's one, one video, I don't know if you've seen him, his a, a top branch tree out of, uh, he's out of Vermont, I think, or Maine area. And he's got some really good videos on, on training also. He's a tree service up there. And he, he has one that I hadn't seen before. I guess he, he got it out of Europe or something. But it's, it's very similar to the, um, the automatic. This is just the standard Oregon-type bench uh, grinder there. But this is their automatic system. And uh, you can set that up, and uh, it, it moves through. You set it up to the chain, and then it, and it moves through. Michael, have you ever met uh, uh, David Perkins? No. No. Uh, he was a uh he was one of the vice presidents with Husqvarna. He's he's out in uh in uh, Vacaville, California. And he started a a, a business out there. Um uh, I think it, it, Chain Sharp. I think it, or something no, something I can't remember what it's called. I had I had a root canal I mean a, a wisdom tooth pulled today so my head's not thinking right. Uh-oh. But uh anyway, we got uh, he he set up a grinder system with some units from Europe and he had like five of them going in there and he was sharpening for like Bartlett tree and different around the country and they'd mail order them into his his shop and they would use these automatic type grinders and uh, clean everything up grind them and send them back on a uh, per grind basis and he he worked pretty well I think he, he finally I don't know if he still got interest in it or not but he's he's, uh, he's done very well with that sharpening business sharp point or something i think he had it and so he's he's pretty neat but that that's a you know some of the different devices and things that are out there and and there's all kinds of of bench type grinders and things that different uh, manufacturers are doing but that's that's something i was out in uh you're talking about grants grants pass uh around the stout grove and stuff crescent city and that area down through there and also i worked with um uh, some logging operations doing some testing too, back in the steel days with the uh, Mount St. Helens and um, one of the things that warehouse there in Klamath Falls uh, they they had the the Ziegelmeyer system I don't know if you ever had met Lynn Ziegelmeyer but he passed away several years ago now but he he hand-built a a grinder system that worked just on square ground chain very unique design, a little bit different than the, uh, uh, Sylvie and, uh, um, what's the other one out there, uh, on the square ground. And, but he, his, his major system of that was a motorized grinder for the depth gauges that set each tooth in, in the height, you know, to the point, as far as the depth gauge in the, the raker. And he had an automated system to do that. So Weyerhaeuser had that system, and, and they, he, uh, I think it was Clint there at the shop. He was either there or he also set one up at Rocky Creek in Chapman, Alabama. And uh, that, that grinder uh, there, Clint, I think his name was, he would do about 150 chains at night. Uh, and the guys would go back up the hill with him. He, he would take three chains and sharpen them and dress a bar and clean it. And so the guys, he took old pieces of fire hose, and he, he dropped these chain loops down in there, and he had a little bit of oil in there with them. So the guys went in the, in the, in the uh, work bus up the hill, and then they had three sharp chains to work with all day long. So as one got dull, they would rotate it out, and so they started a rotation system. And then at night, he had two sets for each, each sawyer, and at night he would sharpen one, and then they had the one ready all the time. And uh, that kept their production up as well as uh, uh, kept everybody happy. They didn't have to do a whole lot of sharpening in the field that way. But he, he would set those up on that machine and kind of walk away from them. And then he would, he would uh, have them take them off of that machine, put it on that other depth gauge grinder. And uh, it was quite nice. And Zielmeier, he sold several of them. We had two or three of the Game of Logging guys who bought them and they would use them. And uh, talking to John Adler, he had one set up up in Vermont. And uh, I was talking to him back a few months ago, and he had already gotten rid of it. But, but uh, the only thing about it was, it was, uh, as they say, kind of like a, a tank. They were built hand pieced, you know. So if something broke, it, uh, you had to get him to, to uh, remanufacture it. So. But it, uh, they lasted forever, though. I mean, you could sharpen many, many chains. But that was the first real experience I had with, with the real high-quality uh, grinder systems and then that organ automatic uh, they've they've had it out now for several years it does a, it does a really good job but you know it all boils down to the same thing it doesn't make a difference if you're just using a file and a corn cob handle or you're using an automated system if you understand those parts of the chain and and uh, think through the process of it and, and make sure that you're and i always say trying to get that that chain look box stock you know it doesn't make any difference how far it's worn back as long as you've got the the angles and the surfaces, right. And, and it's, it's going to, it's going to cut as it came out of the box.
1: And it's going to cut safer. So let's, um, let's jump back to safety here for a sec, Tim. Yeah. And, uh, uh, love to hear more about this, but, um, the, a dull chain is a dangerous chain. And if, if you don't sharpen your saw, you're going to push on it. You're going to shift your center of gravity uh, and you're going to be off balance directly over the saw. And then, when something happens, when you're cutting and the chain grabs and the saw jerks, you are already off balance and the, uh, the, the, the saw can come and bite you. So, um, you know, I mean, Tim, your audience is, they're already tree people. Every, everybody here is a tree person. <clears throat> but guess who cuts themselves? Three people. So,
0: well, that's an so, exposure so, time thing, you know, Michael. It doesn't make a difference how much experience you have. It's, it's the more you stand between that white line and the, and the yellow line, the chances of an incident are higher, aren't they?
1: There are certain things that we do where we become our own worst enemy, and we think we're saving time, uh, we're we're gonna keep using that saw, and we should just put that saw away. Go down to the truck, get another saw, or go grab the file. And and since we are our own worst enemy, we don't do that, and we get in trouble. And then later, these people they say to us, you know, what were you thinking? And here we've we're all band-aided up or whatever, and and uh, you know, we we don't have a good answer. We 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 just say that the expediency of continuing on in a, a worsening situation where the saw gets duller and duller and duller and we keep using it and using it and using it, it is, is the mental block. So, So here you've got the tool, okay, the chainsaw. But that chainsaw is in tandem with your body, which is being run by your mind so right in those in that intersection between those three things your chainsaw your body and your mind at some point that is where the accident happens mm-hmm. now very very rarely a tree will come after you i remember i got chased down by this alder tree that had a big curve in the trunk one time it chased me uh, onto my butt and uh, you know it grabbed the saw it picked me up and threw me back about six feet, uh, but that's that's rare. It, it, trees, you know, trees aren't out to get me. My mind is out to get me. My mental malaise, my 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 slacking off, is what keeps me from getting my saw sharp and and um, putting me back in the zone of safety where I'm running the show instead of the dull chain. So that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's why we're all here. I mean, uh, you know, if, if this were a big room and all the people watching this video could just raise their hand, who here has never cut themselves? I'm not raising my hand.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I cut myself. and um, I, I, But at the same time, is a chainsaw injury necessarily a fatal injury? No. Now, now I've I've been up in trees and I cut these branches. I don't notice that there's an electrical wire. The branch lays across the wire. The the current comes through the branch, comes into the saw, and then into my hand, and then through my chest to my other hand where I'm hanging onto the tree, and I get this zap right in here. And uh, now, now a lot of those injuries are fatal. Um, So, so just because you accidentally nicked your knee and you got away with it, don't think that was a minor accident. That was a potentially lethal accident. So, so, so there you go. Safety. I would just love for everybody to just chime in on safety right now caused by dull saws. What, what happened to you when you were leaning on that saw, you were pushing on it so damn hard because it just wouldn't cut, uh, you know, what? What happened to you? Tell us. Type in, type in some stuff, people, about how you 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 actually managed to anick uh, yourself. There's guys that aren't here right now because they just laid down right there and they bled to death. Um, you know, and and we don't have the benefit of them telling us what they did wrong. We we want you people that got away uh, with with minor injuries to to educate us. Tell us. Tell us how, what you could have done differently, please.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's it. I mean, you, you, when you get talking, I'm, I'm sure Brian probably has them come in the shop all the time, too, and talking about and That's the first thing they start thinking about is, is um, injuries with the saw and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, it goes back to the sharpening and the pushing and the pulling and those kinds of things are, are the things that, that start to instigate the, the injuries out there. And plus a, a huge loss of production, too, for for people out there working with the saw. So it, it's, you know, and I, I always say that accident's an unplanned event. And so if uh, if you start looking through, the best thing you can have is a good planning process. And taking in and making sure that your piece of equipment is up to snuff is really what's going to do it. And, you know, it's, um, it's something to where if you're working with something dull then you've got the reactive forces of the saw because of its its power and the rotation of the chain and the bar Uh, you get off balance or you put it in the wrong position and the next thing you know you've got uh, you've got that unplanned event that that happens
1: what do they tell you in your saw shop brian yeah
2: we we see a lot of that and most of our our greater stories are probably more with a homeowner or consumer, you know, the ones that just doesn't have that, that education. And, um, it's pretty scary sometimes that, you know, you, you get a customer comes in and maybe he's purchased a little land or he's inherited some property, uh, maybe from some family. And so he's purchasing a saw and, you know, you talk to him about the importance of PPE and chaps and, but they, they don't really understand proper starting they don't understand proper maintenance they they don't understand sharpening so you're right they start using the saw when it's um you know it's not sharp and they're bearing down and they're they're being you know unsafe with it at that point so uh but a lot of our you know most of our storm cleanup dot volunteer fire they you know they have they they continuously train theirself and um They have some people, you know, on the truck or on staff that uh, even the church groups uh, uh, that go the uh, Samaritan Purse and so many of these travel from state to state and work storm cleanup and disaster areas. But uh, they're they're pretty knowledgeable, not that they don't have stories, but most of what we hear comes from the, the inexperienced homeowner or consumer that just doesn't use a saw much. And maybe it's their first, uh, you know, first time purchasing a chainsaw and running one. That's where you hear most of the, the, you know, scary stories.
1: That and then- uh, you know, so 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 part of this part of this business about um, the the skill set level that's needed to successfully maintain and operate chainsaws involves the uh, the repetition sharpening it's highly repetitive by the time you go all the way around you you've just touched 50 teeth and you're you're starting to get some consistency but these these homeowners these amateurs that, that you're talking about they have never even tried it so they're going to butcher that chain up on the first couple goal rounds and then then they're going to be even worse off and then they might just say oh i'm going to go pay money and have some saw shop do it because it wouldn't cut any better after I thought I sharpened it because they got their angles wrong. They got this uh, back slope on their their tooth. You know, they they were uh, pushing in the wrong direction and they weren't removing the metal from the proper location on the, the tooth. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then there's a couple other things right in there too, one of which is using worn out files. When you have your saws, uh, and you're trying to sharpen it with a worn-out file. What are you doing? You're pushing on the file. Well, that's just as bad because then usually you get the gouge right here, so, uh, as that as that uh, file jumps out of the gullet. So, so there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, you know. I mean, I I'm not really interested in training uh, newbies. I I, I want to help arborists and loggers refine their their techniques this, um, you know, Tim, you, you just gave this, this wonderful product tour. Wow. You just jumped through a couple dozen products and we didn't really talk about them very much. And um, I don't want to, (laughs) Um, you know, I I just use the corn cob and, and I'm perfectly happy with using my eyes to see where the metal is coming out of the gullet. And, uh, you know, the, um, um, you know, the, the, the the sawdust that, that comes off of the middle, you know, is, is little iron filings, you know, that, that, that should tell us something, but only if we're watching, if we're zoning out and we know we have 50 teeth. I actually, I don't even know how many teeth are on a saw, whether it's skip tooth or semi skip or full comp, but um, I know that it's boring as hell. So, I don't always have the best quality control when I'm bored as hell. So, so the um, the combination of being bored as hell, having a dull file, and then the last the kind of last main thing is is not having a stable work area. And if if that saw is flopping around on the table or on the tailgate or on your left boot. Um, you know, then, then there's going to be poor quality control, and you are going to get a saw that cuts all over the map. Try, you know, you're, it's like you're cutting the Suez Canal. So, so, so we 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 have these basic things that totally uh, take over the refinements. And uh, as we achieve uh, professionalism, we need to uh, mainly increase our consistency and uh, and push on the saw push on the file uh, in the right direction with down or back pressure. Take your pick um, the, the, I, I believe it or not here. I have never used one of those machines, so that's it, period, as so I, I, I am not the person to review uh, like a grinder. I've never used a grinder. Um, I, I have. I have hit a lot of bricks and nails in trees, and and when when you have that saw jumping on a, a a foreign object in wood, the amount of bent teeth is not consistent on the loop of chain. the The saw jumps up in the air and it comes back down in the kerf and it hits that brick in a different spot. So so you have a, a broken teeth or bent teeth in Uh, not every tooth on the saw. So after this occurs, notice I don't say if this occurs. We are hitting stuff in trees. There's bullets in trees. There's all kinds of stuff in trees. When when we try and fix that saw, we're, we're just butchering it. And really, it probably should go down to the shop and get put on the grinder so that we can bring everything back to square one and, and get it in a, 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 you know, good shape. But, um, and, then, and then there's the other thing is, how long does it take to sharpen a, a saw? It takes about five or 10 minutes, okay? So someone comes up, they see you just sitting there, and they say, hey, you know, what did you do last night? Do you want a cup of coffee? Do, you know, are we gonna have a smoke? They, they think that you're just sitting there, but you're not. You're concentrating on 50 separate operations. And, uh, and then you have to flip around, turn the saw around, and then they think, oh, he's done. Let me start talking to him. And so people become a distraction. And in the modern workplace, the money drives the show. So we, we want to get back to it. And it really takes diligence to maintain our focus during the entire saw sharpening operation in the field. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what happens in shops because I don't have shops. I have my tailgate. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so those are, those are a couple of the, you know, the, the, the kind of the overarching, uh, issues that, that we need to, um, consider. And, and, uh, I don't actually, I didn't even actually keep track of those and I've never really, uh, uh, discussed this, uh, very much, but, but I think that, um, Everybody is going to have their their rhythm, and and when we when we get into our rhythm, wow, are we good? We we are a machine. We go like the Dickens. So that's what we want to do. We want to have patterns. We want to use our muscle memory. We want to, We want to have access to the right tool. Uh, if if we go through digging through the toolbox way down at the bottom, we're going to find a raker file that's duller than hell. And we're going to try and use it, and all of a sudden, those rakers are going to cause that ju- saw to jump all over the place. So that's no good. And yet, what do we do? We, when we're done with that dead flat raker file, we put it back in the toolbox instead of heaving it as far as we can. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we ha- we have our tendencies, and we need to we need to overcome these these uh, this looseness get tight, tighten up, get professional, be, be a workmanlike operator and run that saw like it was made to, like it was new. That's that's how that saw ought to cut when you're done, unless you're filing the rivets on the side and you're in the timber carnival.
0: Yeah, I get into, a lot of people get into racing change before they get the, uh, the whole concept down, you know, but and, and they do. Some of them have some techniques, you know, that'll that'll make them cut a little faster. But my, my problem was is every time I get one to cut right in this wood, then I get on a dirty piece and it all changes. So, you know, we we spent a lot of time with training and especially with the logging crews uh, and tree care too. But, you know, you, you, you start to think through it. You don't always have the tailgate. You don't always have the vice. You don't always have this. And Soren used to, used to teach. He would set up. In Scandinavia, where they they had bench felling methods, he would he would set up one area and then they turn the saw upright. I don't know if you've ever seen that. You'll see a lot of guys hold them in their laps, you know, when they're filing. And I got to where that's how I practiced it one-handed. I didn't have anything when I started with it. I didn't have anything to hold it. So you would sit the saw upright, and you're looking at the whole surface of the tooth, and you set the angle of the saw up for what you want your top angle to be. And so you could use one hand or two hands and be able to work around it. It doesn't work quite so well when you got a 32 to 50 inch bar, you know, but it's something in that 20 to 24, 28 inch, you can, you can set it up like that and, and work through it really fast. And then, you know, we use the flat file, not only for the rakers, but we use it for taking the damage off the tooth. And so you know we didn't have grinders either out in the field. So it was something where you would take a, if you damaged something, hit a rock or hit something in the tree, you know you would take and use the flat file and straighten it up. And then you had a situation where well, this tooth is shorter than that one, and that's where some of those tools or that that depth gauge plate that takes each tooth independently, you can have every single tooth a different length, and they all cut straight because it's taking the same bite. So if you're really good with just a flat file and you know exactly you got all your teeth pretty much the same, it's very easy to take one swipe off and do that. But if you've got a tooth that's damaged back, say a, a 10%, and you try to set it with that same one stroke on the depth gauge, you, you've got a different situation. That tooth is actually probably not cutting that well. And then the next one, you might take a little heavier hit on it and you've got it taking too big of a bite. So... You know, that's, that's where people come back and looking at how the tooth actually works, and then you practice that. Like you say, you get your position, you either hold it somehow or you do this, that, and you, you get your, your rhythm going on it. And uh, it's not necessarily counting strokes, it's making sure that whole surface is right. And uh, then you set the depth gauge to, to take that uh, amount. I was talking about it with a, a, a group this week. Um, now, get, get your thoughts on this when and and people talk about you know when you're when you're setting the depth gages to just take one hit across it or whatever and go around and and uh, one off each each raker but look, look what happens to this chisel angle in here and the side plate angle if you were to if you were to drop this down when you when you when you lower that down this changes your chisel angle and the angle of the side plate so the design of the tooth is set up to be kind of like a wood plane. It only lets that cutting blade go down in there so deep, you know. But people think, well, I'm going to take that off and that would really make it cut. But when you don't readjust this part with the round file and you just drop the depth gauge and that changes the angle of the chisel and the position of the vertical on the, on the side plate, now you got all kinds of resistance because it tries to go too deep. I had, I had one guy I was up in Illinois, and uh, we were doing some training at this one park. We had some really nice walnuts to take down, but what it was, it was a, a sled ramp for for the uh, public park there, and people kept running into the trees. So they were cleaning it all out, and we had those to use for the training. And one of the guys from one of the townships up there around Chicago, he had his, uh, I think it was a uh, maybe a steel 460 or something and uh, I guess it belonged to the to the town and I was looking at it I said I oh, got the death down a little bit of rakers down a little bit on this And said, yeah that's that's the way I like to run it you know and uh, I said "Yeah, yeah this big saw it'll probably pull it okay and so it was his turn to to cut down and, and buck up this one tree and he put a saw up there and you could see it just grabbing you know it was it was sitting there grabbing throwing some big chunks out but it was grabbing like crazy and uh, I, I said, right, let's try a, a plunge cut or a bore cut with that, and, or undercut. Well he went undercut with it, it was really jumping, you know. And then, and then that was the only saw he brought. And there was two other guys with him. Those other two guys didn't have a lot of experience. And so he said, here, you can use my saw. Well, they grabbed his saw, and you know he's been using it a little bit. He had some time on those handles, but it was still too aggressive for him, actually. When those guys started to cut with it, I mean, they they couldn't even hardly cut an inch. It would just lock down because it's taking too big a bite. They were applying more pressure than he did. And that's the whole thing too. It's it's not only your filing techniques, it's actually understanding the wood fiber, which every every tree is different. People talk about this species or that species. It's not as much the species in my book as it is thinking through that particular tree or limb or whatever and whether it's dry or it's green or whatever and then you start to to look at the size of the saw and how much pressure that the operator applies and all of a sudden your filing techniques change. That's like you're talking about getting the right rhythm and stuff. It has to go with the rest of your technique on operating the saw to be able to to get it working. And I think that's, that's the reason why we, we need to concentrate on the tools properly but then also to take and try to put it back to its configuration. Like, you know, I always tell people, uh, Joseph Cox who designed it is still basically the same today as it was in the early fifties. And you start, you start thinking through it in this, this design, if you, if you change this, it affects this. If you change this, can you imagine the time that it took him when they started those systems to try to get that, that chain to cut in all the different wood types and, and styles? Of cutting, and and but he found a, a, a rounded system. I guess you'd say it was it was something that kind of did the best it could do in all types of wood and with all types of operators, and and that's really the key is trying to get these things back to box stock. If you if you could get it back to where it's designed, it's probably going to cut pretty good. Yeah, you could tweak this a little bit and do this a little bit or whatever, but it really trying to keep it like it came out of the box is going to be your best productivity and to be able to maintain the safety. And that's, that's really the key. It doesn't make any difference how fast you cut. If you cut something else off wrong, right?
1: And Thanks for, uh,
0: for, uh, sharing that, you know, you know, the, the
1: uh, and then the, the, there's a couple other basic, uh, I guess, issues or problems or the, 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 the mistakes that we make, um, if, it's all about the money. It, when it's all about the money, you're not going to replace your sprocket when you're supposed to. And then your saw, the drivers are going to get all chewed up. Then your chain is going to jump off of your saw right when you don't want it to. And, and so, so a lot of that could just be solved if we weren't such cheap ass sons of bitches. Can you say that on the Internet? <laughs> I guess you did. And then, and then the the bar the bar is going to have its rails rounded over, and you're going to get little beads sticking out, and the bar is going to become a lot wider than it was when it was new because it's worn out, and there's a there's a uh, excess uh, metal in the curve. Um, and then another thing about the bar is that it's going to get clogged with gunk, so, so your chain is riding up out of there. So so there's all these different things that uh, kind of go along with keeping it sharp. and they're, you know they, they, they combine and and the result of all these combination factors that result in loss of productivity is your, listen to this, your style. And if you're a slob and you never do any of this stuff, and it, then you are the guy that I got cut here, I got cut here, you know, uh, I got cut here then you're going to be the guy down at, the, at Brian's saw shop saying, Oh yeah. You know, um, you're like the spoon man, you know, that guy that has those two spoons and he plays rhythm and he's touching his body every place where he's ever carved himself up with a chainsaw. And you don't want to be the spoon man. <laughs> does he, does he come in your shop, Brian?
2: We do get uh, yeah, we get a lot. And those are all great points. I, You know, listening to a lot of that, it's obvious we sort of focus on the saw out of the box and a factory saw, a factory bar, and chain. But, you know, a lot of times where the, the issue and the problems occur is when the customer's had it for a while and he comes in and maybe wants to change. Can I go to a bigger bar? Can I, you know, take my saw from a 325 pitch? To a three eighths, he's wanting to go, and then the, they don't understand that the saw is going to react a lot different. Uh, sometimes they're trying to go too big a bar and chain, or too too big of a, a gauge for a small forty cc saw or something. And uh, we get that a lot. We we had some guys in today uh, from a local electric group, and they were they they had one brand pole saw, and they they had a different brand a uh, bar on it and they, you know, they wanted a new chain. So we were looking at it and we figured out that not only did he need a new chain, but he needed a new bar. The tip was burned up, the speed tip. And when we when we pointed that out to him, he, he said, well, I don't understand how that happened. So, you know, a lot of times what you see there is one brand has their order hole or the way that they're oiling that bar and chain and sprocket tip. Is different from the original manufacturer, and he didn't understand all of that. And that's, and not only there, but then you're getting sprocket and a, you know, drum wear, and we see that a lot. A lot of customers come in, they want a new chain, but they hadn't even turned it upside down and took a look at that sprocket, and that's really where the problem is. So if you put a new chain on that saw, and he takes off and runs it, like Michael said, it's either going to jump off and burr up the. The uh, you know the chain where it's not going, to, we see it all the time coming in. I put my chain back on, but it won't turn now. It's like it's binding, and that you know they don't want to tell you the whole story of what really happened. But it's pretty obvious once you've seen one or two what what's happened there. But you know it <laughs> it's critical that the sprocket, the bar, and chain all work together, and they're the same pitch, same gauge. And obviously, you can get a, away with a little bit. You know, say a fifty. 50 gauge in a 58 gauge rail. And, but it's for the, for the common customer, they need to stay with what the factory stock stuff is. Uh, a lot of what you see sold at um, big box stores are going to be the the safety chain and it may have a thicker uh, depth gauge, you know, and it's, it's set up like that on purpose. So that, that kicking and all that Tim talked about, they're not going to see a lot of that. And there's really no way to file that, that depth gauge down enough. And we sell just what we call a standard organ, you know, the 72 LP, they call that a hardwood chain, uh, semi chisel. And to be honest with you, it works really good for skilled sawyers or the novice. And um, you know, uh, the, the real safety chain is really, that that's something that's it it creates more havoc and more questions and more frustration than uh, than we find. So that that hardwood chain at Oregon and and then, of course, Husbander, being a Husqvarna dealer, we sell a lot of their new X-Cut chain. And it does stay a little sharper 20% longer and, and uh, seems to last about 20% longer. So both of those chains, we stock it in the same pitch gauge. And we don't vary from that much. We don't sell a lot of skip tooth. We don't get into a lot of the more aggressive stuff, just because 70, 80% of my clientele is going to be that, you know, that homeowner consumer and sort of first-time sawyer.
1: Yeah. So speaking of that electric, um, are you you a Husky dealer, Brian? We are. Can I ask you if the T542i is coming out?
2: It is. Uh, I've actually got a demo that I should get next week but it's already shipping. All right.
1: I mean, I heard
2: they're heavier. Have you actually touched one? I have not. I've just ordered Monday. I put, I got them to add me a demo on our uh, zero turn order, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm anxious to get my hands on it. I, I really think, I think they've kind of got that where it, it's going to be on point when it gets here.
1: You know, that what what is a total miracle of modern manufacturing is that both uh, I, I mean it, it, the T540i um, did have some predecessor electric models that it built up to, but it has been the standard for like I don't know four years or so, and then and then so so that's on the Husky side, and then on the steel side they've got the the 500i which is also pretty long in the tooth for being version 1.0. So I'll bet you that these manufacturers have really cleaned up their act. You know, they they must have really gone overboard on the quality control considerations during product development yeah. to, have, to have come up with real winners. I mean, these, both of these, both of these saws are winners. They are proven and they are keepers. And, and, and so, so you know, it's like it's like Windows computers. Windows 3.0 was bad. Windows 3.1 finally fixed it, and and, and so so uh, we are so lucky to have these companies that need to make money. They knew that the only way that they could make money is to not introduce these lemons, and they tightened up their act and they produced stuff that is just so fantastic. Uh you know like and, and then of course you know then there's horror stories about the saws that I mean I mean look at all the saws down at Wayne's uh chainsaw museum down in uh southern Washington state. And and so since since I'm on the internet and I'm talking to chainsaw people everybody needs to get on a plane and come out to Washington state and go to Wayne's chainsaw museum. Wayne's that guy has Thousands of saws on display. Just about every one of them is pristine. And, uh, you know, I don't know how long it's been since you've been there, Tim, but I just love that place. And it is, you know, 100 miles from here or more. Um, but um, I, I, I think my dream is to get uh, one of my saws in his museum.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that new, that new house, husband is that one with the centrifugal clutch on the electric?
2: It is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting. But, um... So so what are we what are we looking for? Is there
1: I mean here here you've got this X-cut chain, you've got this hex chain. Is there something else that's going to be popping up too that uh, that uh, somebody invents cuz cuz people are they've got their they've got their computer, they've got CAD, they've got artificial intelligence and and they have a lot more um smart people that are coming out who are you know uh, graduating from engineering schools and stuff like that well what's going to happen in 10 years i would just love to see it i'm not going to be around in 10 years
0: but well, you know, um, I'm, most most everything that has happened here in the past say 15 20 years with with outdoor power um has all come from the field and it's a little bit a little bit different than what it was i mean you had a few uh, you know, key players um, over the years out there, you know, but but basically now you've got such a volume of pro users that are also um, constantly trying to develop uh, variations of tools. It's like all the new climbing gear and, and you know, different uh, pulley systems, and, and lanyard systems, and climbing apparatus, you know, all these different things that have come about in the past 15 or 20 years, and, it, and it's coming from the actual users now. And so that's what I find, I like the, um, you know, the, the PowerSharp I talked about, and then also the Hexa, those, those are two ideas that you never really think about to have a lot of application you know, unless you, you actually built it in a work situation. And that's what's really cool, I think. The industry has has um, started looking real closely at the end user. And they've had to really kind of rush things a little bit because of different government issues. So, you know, with the battery saws and battery mowers and all that kind of thing. But it's quite quite interesting to, to see how the evolution of new products and and newer ideas, I, I, they have quadrupled in the past past few years, just recent years.
1: We we don't know. We can just guess, but uh, you know the like same materials for example. What we've got incredible alloys, and what if we were to have, like okay, so the Rolls Royce engine. Uh, s- s- Seven, uh, six point eight cubic, uh, six point eight, um, um, almost a seven cubic inch uh, engine, um, made out of aluminum. So, so uh, you know, our our like go to has been like magnesium and stuff. So, so, so if we if we have better materials, then uh, that could just open up whole new cooling options for us.
0: Yeah. As like I say, this technology is, you've got so many people that are building it from the workforce. And I think that's, that's the key in trying to come out with new lighters. It's like lightweight bars. I mean, you know, we worked for years trying to cut a quarter of a pound off of a 70 CC powerhead, you know, and then and then all of a sudden somebody comes up with the idea of making a lightweight bar and drop two pounds off of the power head real quick. You know, just by going to a lightweight bar, look how those things have taken over in the past, you know, 10 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it makes such a difference. If you're especially running a, a you know, 28 to a 42 inch bar, I mean, you start saving three pounds, four pounds, you're not carrying around all day. It's safer. It's more productive. It's, and uh, not cheaper, but it's <laughs> it's uh, it's something that, that's cost effective in that case. So,
1: you know, the one thing that I want to see is reference materials about chainsaws for arborists. And I like like you look at you look at books about chainsaws, and they're about all saws for forest or arborist. And um, there's so much information that has been lost by our people dying off. I, I, want, I want to capture it. Like, like, for example, the International Society of Arboriculture is the trade association for tree surgeons. And they're having their 100th anniversary this year. Uh, in August in Atlanta Georgia hmm. this is the centennial of the isa now arboriculture's been around a lot longer than that you know the davy book was like 1902 or 3 um, you know uh the tree doctor and so so, so there's there's a lot of uh, uh earlier stuff and and then of course then there's other uh regions and, and organizations but but i like like for example um you know the the one handers is, is there really a good treatment of of topping saws it, 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 has somebody really said you know this is these are the differences in these different saws like for example there was there was uh that frontier uh shindaiwa saw that had like four different colors of paint jobs that various licensors uh put on them uh, uh, uh you know i i don't even know who 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 manufactured it. But I do know that when I filled one up with gas, it caught on fire. (laughs) It was a fantastic saw. It had a rear handle on it, but it was super light. I was in love with the McCulloch Power Mac six. And I ran through a bunch of those. And because at the time I lived in Los Angeles, where it was commonly 90 degrees um, Fahrenheit, uh, we would burn those up. And uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's certain things that um, owner-operators won't do to their saws to cause them to burn up that the employees don't mind burning up the saws. The employee sometimes doesn't even care if the saw burns up. They'll abuse them. They'll run them till they're smoking. When the saw runs out of gas, they'll put gas in it and immediately fire it back up and, and, and not get it down off of that, uh, you know, seizure-level heat. So, so, so the, the uh, and then, uh, there's the, the R and D and because I lived in Los Angeles, uh, we were right near the McCulloch factory which is where the R and D was done down in Santa Monica. So we got to test Mac saws. It was after the, after the power Mac six came out, but, um, the one that we did get to, to test, um, I forget. It was. I think it was called an eager beaver. It was kind of like a homeowner saw, and uh, th- this, this, the the dichotomy between the ethics of various people. We had this one climber who was a drunk. Okay. Guess what? I'm probably getting into trouble here, but he's probably dead now because he was a drunk. But at any rate, he he was known for coming in to work hungover. He was up in the tree. The MAC rep came by, gave us these two saws, um, and uh, he couldn't get the saw started. He's up in the tree, and he threw it out of the tree onto the roof, which was, you know, maybe eight foot down below him. The boss just hit the ceiling. But the boss was related to this climber. He was his cousin or his brother or something. And so he couldn't fire him. And, and of course, you know, uh, employers are at the mercy of their employees. So some people, you know, do have a, you know, a, a ability to pull off a bunch of baloney that, that uh, maybe somebody else wouldn't have. And then the other the other uh, story about the Mac was that Mac made an electric log splitter. And they asked us for some logs to test their log splitter on this was a log splitter for the homeowner market it was a it was a, a guillotine style where there was a track and then the blade was in the center and it came down in grooves on either side of this guide track and it was uh you plug it into the wall and it had a little uh, an, uh, I don't I don't we never actually saw it and so later on you know after we had delivered the eucalyptus log which was eucalyptus wood is very hard and so they said nope, we we changed our mind we abandoned the concept of a homeowner log splitter because it would have to be overbuilt because we kept bending ours in half on this damn wood that you gave us it was just too too darn hard so so for all of the people that don't live around california if you don't have any eucalyptus trees you won't know how ungodly hard as a rock eucalyptus is and it just does not want to split. So there you go. There's a couple stories about about McCulloch. Oh, yeah, we did try out some um, O11s for steel. Uh, I was working in Mount Shasta, which is up, you know, maybe 4,000 foot elevation, 5,000. And they gave us some saws to test for the high altitude uh, uh, component. Um, and, you know, they, you know four-hour watchers here the 011 and 012 handle saws super lightweight you know and, and i i, I kind of call them homeowner saws useless saws but you at uh, the
0: shasta saw shop oh yeah yeah i knew those guys um yeah oh, i love those there guys on the project with the klamath falls thing so we, that's where we were working on the uh... 056 mag twos and stuff with the uh, pre drilled carbs and the high altitude, they'd go up there and blow them up. And, uh, oh yeah,
1: God, those were the days. And and you know that was the, that was a kind of cool cool saw shop because they would be open early in the morning.
0: Yeah, well, and they uh, always had they had lock boxes. That was something that always that amazed me. I tried to get that going in some other places, but they had lock boxes out back that the guys would drop their saws off at night, you know, and they'd come in they'd repair the saws and then they'd pick them up out of the lock boxes for the daylight when they'd head out in the morning. Those guys did a good business. Well, gentlemen, I, wow. I need to kind of close down here, I think, so uh, I appreciate y'all dropping by and uh, hopefully we've given a little bit of information out there on, on some things that are available on sharpening and we do have some, you know, there's some different, you uh, Classes and things around the country you got dealerships like Bryant that you can go in and learn about sharpening and, and pick up the accessories You got people around with like ISA and stuff with Michael that have different classes and things going on and and um, You know, we don't get a whole lot of people sign in here but there's hundreds that that watch these videos after they're up on the system and I get constant questions and and People asking about stuff and I think it goes back to the basics if we understand the basics of things and we have a good planning process to use those basics with We can we can do it safely and, and be very very productive at it and so but I do have um, I do have some different uh, things going on as far as um some workshops and all, we've got, I've got some Zoom workshops going on and I'm gonna be having one, I haven't set the date on it yet, but uh, it'll be just on sharpening uh, with some of the tools and all. It'll be about an hour class. But uh, February 28th, I got a two hour basic chainsaw. Had one this week, uh, had a couple of gentlemen, one from West Virginia and, uh, and one from up in, uh, oh, he was in Virginia, around Wise, Virginia, and then been up in that area a good bit. And then another one from uh, uh, down in Fairburn, Georgia, and he uh, he had had a little incident and wanted to get some more refresher. So he said in the class the other day we had one on the 12th, but that's uh, that's available and you can sign up for it on my on my e store. And then uh, we've got storm sawing workshop coming up April 2nd through the 4th. That's a three-day hands-on program. It's going to be in Kingston, Georgia, is the first one. David Breeden will be heading that one up. I'll be there. But uh, David Breed will be heading that up. I uh, still I, I can't get too far away from home nowadays. But uh, we've also got one in April twenty fifth through twenty seventh. and that's going to be at the Cardi Berry Farm up in Dryfort, Virginia. And so uh, Chris Childs will be heading that one up. And we'll also be probably that weekend we're gonna be getting together up. I'll probably be up there for that one too. Um, we'll be getting together, uh, our legacy program that from 2023, the instructor program, they'll be up there. We we'll going through some different things and, uh, got some consultative available and things Our e store. You can sign up for the trainings as well as a bunch of things. I've got some of the filing devices and some of the files and things that are out there and some old, old game of logging stuff and some videos and DVDs and those kinds of things, height measuring tools. So that's some things you can kind of look at there um, next week I don't exactly know what the topic will be. I'm going to try to try to get some guys lined up again, but next Thursday night we'll be back at uh, at eight o'clock eastern time and uh, everybody's welcome to drop back in we've had some had some good chats tonight, and I appreciate y'all dropping by and and hopefully we'll we'll do it again. But I wish you all as everyone out there good sawing and uh, take care of yourself be careful and and uh, we'll see you next time. See you guys, thanks.
2: See ya. Thanks, Tim. See you later, Brian. Thank you, see you guys.